Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in northern Vermont. And today is June 20th, Friday, 2014. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter Into Action, and we are on page 82, the last paragraph that starts The Alcoholic is Like. And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Lois, The Twelve Traditions, Lorraine, and then Sharon R.S., Karen M., Kim, and Barbara S. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 19th of June, is 6522. 6522. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Lois to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois in uh, Massachusetts. The 12 steps, number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these, de- all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and that power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. And I will now ask Lorraine to please read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning, Monica. Here are the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Lorraine. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we're resuming our study of the big book. We're in the chapter, Into Action. We are on page 82, the third paragraph, that begins, The Alcoholic is Like. And I will ask Sharon to start us reading, please. Thank you, Monica. Good morning to all of you visionaries on the line this morning, up bright and early to study. I am Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. The alcoholic is like a tornado, roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who 
came out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? So that, um, when I when I first read this paragraph, or, you know, many of the first times that I read it, I just thought it was a nice, interesting story that didn't apply to me. I could not see myself in, in this story. I wondered, how is it possible for a person to for all this damage to be out there and a person not to be able to see it. And, um, and of course, if it were me, I would see the damage. But on page 30, it says that uh, many of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics in that first chapter on that page or the first paragraph on that page. And it says, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. So as alcoholics or as, as uh, food addicts, as compulsive overeaters, we, have, we live in this illusion and we persist in the illusion. We are in the habit of, of not accepting reality of thinking we can eat without consequences and using food and not wanting to accept what's really there. And uh, the big book in that next paragraph says that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics and the delusion that we were like others had to be smashed. So in order to recover, we needed to uh, get out of that delusion that we can be something that we were not. But here in this paragraph that we're studying this morning, we find that the the man here had gotten recovery. He's recovered. He's um, set, stepped his foot on the path. He's accepted his insanity, and he be, he's on the road to recovery. But he can't see the damage that his past behavior has caused in the lives of other people. And he still wants to think that all of the damage has been done to him, that he he was the victim. And now that he's feeling fine, the world is wonderful. And he can just go and, and have it the way he would like to, to see it. But... We, we were ter- told early on, page 30, that our, the delusions that had to be smashed. And when it comes to dealing with other people, I have to get out of the illusion that I did not hurt anyone. I have to accept that I, my behavior, I am... I am not an invisible person or or entity. I am not just going through life not touching anyone or anything. I am a presence. I am real, and I have impact. Regardless of whether I think I do or not, I have impact. When I'm nasty to the sales clerk, 
that impacts that person's life. I don't just get nasty because I, I'm having a bad day and uh, kick the dog and think the dog doesn't hurt. We, I have impact. I have presence. And that affects other people. And I have to open my eyes. I cannot continue to close my eyes to who I am and, and my impact on others, just as others have impacted me, I'm impacting them. And it may be totally innocent and unintentional, but yet I am impacting them. Just like that tornado is, is unthinking. It just does its thing. And when I'm unthinking and doing my thing, the impact is just as real as the impact of a, of a natural force, a tornado. And so I have to accept that so that I can heal and, and uh, recover. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Amy from Boston. Larry? <laughs> All right, hold on. Okay, I heard Katie. I heard Larry. I heard somebody in between Katie and Larry. It was Amy, not Katie. At least I think it was Amy. Oh, okay, Amy. And then did I also hear Katie from Boston? Yeah, Katie from Boston. Okay, okay. All right, Katie, Amy, and Larry. Katie, you're up. Thanks, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here, Katie G., recovered for today from Boston, Massachusetts, and I love this paragraph. It reminds me again of that in Bill's story when he talks about being naturally unmindful of the welfare of others, and that is so true. Like, I didn't know that by being in a relationship with a married man, I wasn't actually just impacting him. I was impacting his kids. I was impacting his employer. I was... um, impacting all the people around him. And I I didn't spend the, you know, beginning of my life learning how to relate to others. I spent my life learning how to get, learning how to try and control you to get what I needed. And I, I, I'm, I'm naturally selfish and inconsiderate, and I didn't realize. I was a confu- producer of confusion rather than harmony. And this was so true for me in the beginning when I came in and I got an amazing um, plan of, of, of eating and an amazing plan of working the stuff, of working the tools. But I didn't know how to relate to others. So I was standing up in the front of the room and saying, everything is great and look at me and I'm abstinent, abstinent is enough and I'm and look at how great it is that I'm doing this. And, and you know what? I didn't know how to have relationships. I was Katie 20 questions. If you were my friend, I never made myself vulnerable to you. I was still lying in many areas of my life, like I'd go to work and then I'd you know, take a couple hours off. Katie, we lost you. Star one to unmute. Monica, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Just sitting here. Anyway, um, anyway, so I just did a lot of damage as an abstinent woman thinking, oh, well, I'm not eating today, and that's enough. And, you know, what? how sad for me, right? Because, like, I had that – I had to come to a place where I was surrendered not just by the food, but I was surrendered by my inability to, to consider others. You know, and today my primary purpose is to ask God, God, how can I help others today? You know, it's not enough 
to just say, hey, look, applaud me. I'm great. I'm abstinent. Look at me go. Because you know what? I'm not doing this. I am putting in the footwork every single day, and God is giving me the, the privilege of staying abstinent and working with others. You know, and um, I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to, to turn my attitude around, to look at, okay, Katie, what's your primary purpose today? And to be in right relation with God's kids and in right relationship with God. So this is not something to be missed. If you're writing, keep writing. If you're new, there are nine steps before here that we're talking about to get to this point. And, um, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of Overeaters Anonymous. It's a gift. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Amy, you're up. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. I, too, absolutely had to dive in. I love this paragraph. You know, as others have said already, that this, you know, this disease is fraught with the three Ds, denial, delusion, and defiance. And um, I had tons of that, tons of that. Denial and delusion. You know, what am I, a college kid? I'm 22. Who have I affected? Yeah, maybe I heard a mom and dad here and there, my mom and dad. But, you know, have I really affected anybody? And by the time I get to step eight and nine, I realize, you know, I've been focusing on myself, working really, really hard. I get to step eight and nine, and the reality of, of, of what I have done, talk about a, a tornado, uh, the things that I've done, what I've stole, what I have to make amends for, it became pretty clear to me that regardless of what it is that happened to me, that I, I did, I did, and that I did affect other people, and that I was a whirling dervish. I was a tornado in the lives of those around me, and I hurt others terribly. And in that process of making, making amends, as fearful as it was and important as, an, as important as it is, to clean up the wreckage of my past because it's toxic for me otherwise. To not do so is to set myself up to be back in the food. So there's not only that, but through the process of eight and nine was the true realization that I was not alone in this disease and that I did affect other. And in that process of amends and people relating to me back about my behavior when I made amends, it really was smashed home to me that I had my selfishness, my self-centeredness, had affected others in many, many ways that were hurtful and harmful and that, I, boy, I better needed to change. I mean, my focus on this paragraph is selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept a home in turmoil. Well, if we go back to page 62, it says here, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some point in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything else, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. So it became very clear to me through this process of step eight and nine that my behavior, my actions, my relations to others was just as warped as my relationship to food. And it was just as destructive. And that there's a reason why we have to work all these other steps beyond step zero, putting down the food. I had to have that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Otherwise, I would stay that selfish, self-centered person. You know, they're saying in the rooms, the same person will drink again. I had to change. I had to go forward through step nine, 
to have that spiritual transformation, to have those promises come true in my life, and to have that personality change. So grateful for this program. Otherwise, I would just be that selfish, self-centered person, a tornado in the lives of others. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. And Larry, you're up. Good morning, Monica. Thanks for your service. Um, Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, to me, the, the, the paragraph um, that we read speaks to the idea of untreated alcoholism, you know, untreated compulsive overeating. It says, you know, we feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. <clears throat> so for me, you know, abstinence was a start. It was a good start. You know, this program is simple, but it's not easy. A price had to be paid. So putting the substance down was a great start. <clears throat> and I might even say, I would suggest to you a necessity, but it is not the smashing of my ego. <clears throat> I thought it was. Um, you know, I, I better not kid myself. You know, in the years I've been in this program, I've never seen a person have a spiritual awakening by simply putting down the heroin, putting down the, the bakery box. You know, that's like, you know, putting down the bakery box for me was like introducing, like tapping on God's, you know, window. Tap, 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 and sort of introducing myself to God for the first time, you know, the God of my understanding, right? And the steps would allow me to get to know God, to access the power source that I was previously aware of, but I was really blocked off from. So, you know, I could describe for you what it was like while I was mostly abstinent. I used to call it mostly abstinent, but still untreated. You know, you'll find me described on page 52 of the big book. I continued to have trouble with personal relationships while abstinent but, but untreated. I couldn't control my emotional nature while sober but untreated. I was a prey, you know, prey to misery, depression, anxiety. The substance was down, but I hadn't sufficiently worked the steps. You know, I couldn't make enough you know, money or, or manage my finances well, even if I had enough money. Uh, but I was abstinent did not have a complete psychic change. I was, full, a guy like me, I was full of fear. I was unhappy. I was of no real help to other people. You know, I was still kind of tethered to my resentments, my fears, like a horse tethered to a post, you know. You can picture it. I, I only thought I was free, but my disease still had me enslaved. You know, I, sure, the wind stopped blowing for a time, you know, and but the wind would pick up again, and so would I. I'd pick up again, too, and I did. You know, thank God for this spiritual toolkit. Thank God for um, Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Janice. Leah. Mm, I heard Janice. I heard Leah. I heard someone else in between there. Sarah. Sarah. Okay, Janice, Sarah, and Leah. Janice, you're up. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Monica. My name is Janice. I'm from Massachusetts, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Well, you know, I don't know about a tornado, but I know about a hurricane. You know, in the eastern part of the country, we have hurricanes. And um, I, I know the devastation of a hurricane. And uh, the picture that it presents here is unbelievable. Um, you know, abstinence is enough. I was worse when I was abstinent because I wasn't having my drug. So the devastation was even worse 
than what I was eating. You know, I did a lot of the devastation, and I want to talk mostly about, the, from, from my experience, the devastation that I made in my own home, because that was the hardest for me. And, you know, the winds will stop, like was said. The, the hurricane will stop. But what happens in my home? They can't get shelter. They can't run away and go into a shelter like the hurricane people, you know. My, my, my family had to stay here with me. You know, they weren't, um, they loved me too much, I guess. They weren't maybe sane enough or whatever to move on. They stayed here, so they were continually experiencing the devastation. And like I said, they could not run away. And um, that, to me, is complete devastation. The wind stopped, the hurricane stopped, but it kept on going until, I embarked on the steps and started seeing my part by starting with the action of step four because I didn't see anything wrong with what I was doing. I wasn't hurting anybody, so to speak, as I spent a lot of money on food, et cetera, and other behaviors. But, uh, see, most sane people will recognize our our devastating power, you know, and get out of our way. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, in my home... Um, the ones that loved us the most, you know, in my my case, you know, stayed. So, um, you know, I kept pounding and pounding, literally or figuratively, them into the ground by my destructive force over and over and over again until there had to be a change. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Sarah, you're up. Good morning, vision for you, and good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service. This is Sarah, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Well, I'd like to say, first of all, that I have read this numerous times. Uh, I was taught to read 82 to 88 in the big book as a morning meditation, and it really has been uh, incredibly helpful for me. I have not done it recently, but maybe it's something I need to go back to, and I'm so glad we're here today. Uh, I I just think to myself that this is basically a lack of maturity on my part, um, you know, and and that's why I've gotten to where I have. And, uh, you know, it is painful to face and rectify our past uh, errors. But I wanted to bring something up because this is a dark place. It's a dark place because we have to look at ourselves and we have to make right the things we've done wrong. But I wanted to bring us to page 124 just for a moment, one of my very favorite um, readings where it says, cling to the thought that in God's hands the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And that is such a beautiful promise in this program, and it has come true for me, and I know many others uh, that have been there for me and that are out there on the line today you know, the reality is that my dark past is my greatest secret. It's what, I'm, what I will be able to help others with. You know, when we, we look for a purpose, this will be it. But we have to be willing to do the work. You know, I've heard people say on this line, and I just love it when they say, this program isn't for people that want it. It's not for people who need it. It's for people who do it. And doing it, it's, it's like that Nike commercial, just do it. You know, take the action. And it is hard. But my gosh, you know, I've read it in the book, and I believe it's so true in my life, that my worst day, you know, clean and sober is better than my 
best day when I was using. And even though it is painful when we get um, clean with the food and when we first start out our abstinence, because we haven't worked through these steps, it is so, so worthwhile. And I'm so grateful today. You know, today I don't have to be the two-year-old anymore. And when those behaviors start to come up, I know what I can do with it. And for that, I am truly grateful. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And Leah, you're up. Thanks so much, Monica. Um, the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. You know, I think about those paragraphs that you see after tornadoes have hit down um, in the country and, and you see, you know, the wreckage, you see the houses that have been strewn all over and the cars and the cows. And, um, you know, these steps pressed me into step four in particular where I got to examine the way my thinking and the way my attitudes um, had seeped into every relationship that I was involved in and had created, you know, chaos and confusion. Um, there were food stains all over my relationships and as a result of this disease. And merely eliminating uh, food substances was not going to create the necessary uh, change in me that was vital in order to produce the harmony that was essential for someone like me to remain undisturbed. You know, just weighing and measuring was not going to eliminate the restlessness, irritability, and discontentment that affected all who, you know, all whose lives I touched. You know, the big book tells us that uh, our disease engulfs all whose lives touch us. You know, it brings misunderstanding, it brings fierce resentment, it brings disgusted friends and employers. And certainly, you know, as this work took me through um, my the years of my life, you know, I was able to examine how my uh, irresponsibility and my unreliability and my undependability and my inconsistency affected others. This program of recovery allowed me to see how my silent scorn and my isolation and my um, tendency towards depression and suicidal thinking had, had affected people. You know, I thought um, my disease was just making my tush get big, you know. <laughs> hey, you know, it's not affecting anybody else. For goodness sakes, I'm just digging my fists into bags and boxes, and I'm just getting bigger by the day here. But this is not affecting somebody else like alcoholism d does, for goodness sakes. But the program of recovery forced me to see that my um, resistance and inability to be um, – intimate, emotionally intimate with other people, affected people, that my resistance and um, reluctance to be physically intimate with, with a spouse, or, you know, affected him, or the fact that I was unpredictable, or the fact that people had to walk on eggshells, or the fact that we're touchy and obstinate and insensitive. You know, that affects people. And the program of recovery forced me to take a look at that. Why? <laughs> Why did it force me? Because I had no choice at that point. Because it was either the pains of trying to uh, press into these steps or the certainty 
that I was going to return to madness and mayhem. So the program of recovery uh, showed me through this uh, text, as well as those who were living proof that they had recovered, that abstinence and recovery was going to be more than just the simple elimination of binge foods. That due to these steps, there was going to be a restoration of relationships, a reordered life, a renewed life. But that was not just going to be happening uh, by staring at a food plan. Yes, the food plan was, was, was absolutely necessary. You can be abstinent but not be recovered. That's true. But you can't be recovered and not be abstinent. You know, so the result of a spiritual awakening um, due to these steps is a change, a revolutionary change in the way we think, in the way we feel, and especially in the way we behave. And what distinguishes this 12-step process that we study every day from other self-help programs, from self-help programs, is that this change is done to us, not by us. I have to cooperate. I have to be responsible for my recovery. But we are put together by the master's hand as a result of this work. And because of this step process, there's a natural progression that occurs where we're turned inside out from a life-taking habit of selfish and inconsiderate habits, right, to a life-giving desire to bring harmony and to bring love and to bring understanding and to bring comfort and to bring those principles that we study to others. We are rehabilitated. Steps one through three rehabilitated my relationship with God, introduced me to God, gave me a foundation, a firm bedrock to build upon. Steps four through seven allowed a rehabilitation with the relationship with myself. Leah, let me introduce you to Leah. The food is down. This is no more a war against you and food. This is you versus you, Leah. And steps four through seven allow me to examine those attitudes and core beliefs uh, that I had that seeped and filtered into all my relationships. And then, of course, steps eight and nine allowed a rehabilitation with my relationships with others. And 10, 11, and 12 allow me and give me the privilege, what a privilege, to continue to trudge this path one day at a time. And with that, I pass things. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, everyone, here for some most excellent shares this morning. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Karen, would you read for us, please? Uh, yes, Monica, here I am. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. I'm remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And um, I will focus on that part, that um, their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. Um, And um, I grew up in an alcoholic family that my alcoholic father would wreck the house at night. And so, you know, as a little child, I really was a victim. 
and we learned I learned to um focus just to focus out on him and see those defects and thinking my eating of so many boxes of things was not as harmful as what he did and so that kind of thinking blocked me because it just I just couldn't see that when I I didn't do the things he did but by resenting I was feeling and feeling again as I heard on a share a few weeks ago about resentment that I kept feeling and feeling again the resentment toward him and other people and it reminded me of as a little child I had a security blanket that would help me go to sleep and um it, I would feel it and I would feel it again and it would give me comfort. And I learned to get comfort by criticizing and feeling again what other people did. That gave me a sense of secure, a security like I looked down on them. And so that had to be blown out of the water if I wanted to recover because that blocked me from my creator, that feeling of self-righteousness. So working these steps helped me to see that, no, I never was, I didn't do the things another person did, but to look at my own harm and and name it and, and come closer to that creator. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. And would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater. Good morning, Katie. Go ahead. Could you tell me what page we're on? I'm sorry, I got in here late. We're on page 83. Top Top of the page. Go ahead, Katie. Okay. Okay. Um, A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fit the bill, fill the bill at all. And, you know, this is introducing the idea that this is now our way of life. You know, I was used to, um, to you know, being explosive and um, <clears throat> or having, you know, a bad day, a bad week, a bad month. And then I would go on a new diet and I would start to feel better about myself. And so, you know, then things would be better. And then I would go back to the food and then I would be, you know, grumpy and angry. And, um, you know, you never quite knew how I was going to be. And so then I just thought, well, you know, once I've straightened out, then, you know, I'll just say sorry and just move on. And, you know, this is, um, this is a way of life that um, I don't get to go back to that old behavior. I don't go back to being explosive and um, touchy and prickly and unapproachable even though, you know, th- that can happen at times for small periods of time and or not even periods, but for, you know, a moment or something. Um, we have to look at our, our, the way we behave. And, you know, for me, it, it was not natural. I mean, I had been a compulsive overeater since I was a child. And I didn't know how to interact with the world. I didn't know how to respond to situations other than to be angry. That was, that was my default, was to either be angry 
are just in shock and say nothing. Um, I didn't know how to feel a, a barometer of feeling. And, you know, even though other people may continue to do things that are um, deplorable, it doesn't give me the right to go back to my old behavior. Uh, that I don't, I don't, I don't uh, measure my uh, behavior against other people's behavior. I measure my behavior against my creator's design for my life. And what he, he sets the bar, not me and not other people. And so, um, you know, I have to look at what I have done that has caused the knee-jerk reaction in other people to act the way they act. And, you know, just focusing on my own stuff and taking care of my side of the street, that's pretty much a full-time job. So I've, you know, when I do that, when I, you know, get on my knees every day and ask God to show me the right, um, the next right action, I end up, you know, with not enough time to be taking other people's inventories and to be, you know, thinking and gossiping and talking about how they need to change. I have enough uh, cleaning up of my own on a daily basis, living in steps 10, 11, and 12. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Tara? This is Bella Tenaisher. Okay, I think I heard, was it Tara? Yes. Tara and then Bella. Go ahead, Tara. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. And um, this is really a pertinent um, paragraph or chapter for me in my life. Um, I always have to reflect back on the behaviors that I have shown other people over the years and those are often things that I can be most critical of others about, especially if I've done any kind of work on, you know, acknowledging and trying to let go of them and ask, um, asking God to to help me with that. It's really important now because I am really pretty powerless over my knee-jerk reactions and also other knee-jerk reactions, which often I've set an example over the years to people um, and shown them behaviors which they may, you know, just take as, well, that's just normal stuff in life, and I may be very close to those people and possibly, you know, really had an effect on, on their behavior now even how they use food, even how they deal with stress and all these things. And now when I want to be, you know, I want to turn over my life and and change, they haven't often had the same benefits of exposure to um, these opportunities to create, you know, a better life, a new life. And until I start to change, and it, it's like planting seeds, we can't, you know, expect that, you know, people are just going to act the way we want them to act just because we're now looking at things differently. It's like, um, 
you know, it's an end in case of leaving a spouse or something because, well, they won't, you know, they won't eat or drink the way um, I think they ought to or, you know, or treat me or whatever and, and how, and thinking back on how I have treated them, it's really humbling to see what an influence I, I've had, but what an, a great opportunity it is for us now to plant new seeds and to watch them grow because I really have had that opportunity over the years to watch the devastation and to watch the rebirth, um, the new life growing all around me. With that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Tara. Bella, you're up. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody, on the line. Wow, I love this paragraph. And frankly, analyze the past as we now see it. Yes, I don't want to the past anymore. Still, all the program, I live my past. I, I didn't live now. I just was living my past with a lot of resentment, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, a lot of not excited of nothing because I was living my past when I couldn't change the past. And now, thank God that I am in the program, I don't have to live the past anymore. I can analyze the past. And to live now, yes, I am living now. And what means to analyze? I am a different person. I am coming to live now with different tools. Yes, in the past, I was very much self-centered. I was very much, um, my ego was driving me. Yes, I was doing what my ego just told me to do. And I was a people pleaser because I wanted to be loved. Not anymore. Thank you, God, that now I am coming with a power of patience, tolerance, kind kindliness and love. Yes, I am connected to a power of love and accepted and respect. Yes, I don't have to come and to prove anymore myself. I am coming with a, a power that accepts and love and respect. Yes, I accept myself so I am able to accept others. I respect myself so I can respect others. I am kind to myself and I can be kind to others. And this is because I am connected to God. God loves me and respects me and accepts me, and is so kind to me that I don't know now any difference. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Nicole. Could I share? Nicole, go ahead. My name's Nicole. I'm a compulsive overeater from uh, Colorado, and um, I really like what it says about just uh, mumbling that we're sorry won't won't do, and um, that is just such a a habit for me. And for me, um, I just I apologize for everything, and it's constantly um, a way for me to. Um, get people to like me um, for that acceptance, that fear of that someone won't like me, so I can just 
apologize over and over again. And what I have to look at is um, my behavior. Is my is my behavior changing? Um, and or am I just saying I'm sorry because I want to feel better about myself? Um, you know, and I I especially find this with my husband. I just feel like I um, have to apologize a lot for for my behavior. When when I was in the food, um, I would just be so unpredictable and so my so volatile. Could just he would never know um, if I was going to be angry. I would ignore him, give him the silent treatment. And um, now that I'm in recovery, I still have to just really look at this. Am, am I just saying I'm sorry to try to smooth things over, to try to get acceptance? Um, or am I saying sorry and then changing my behavior and asking God for um, wisdom and help and the strength to really change my behavior and to really look at my part and um, see what I need to change? So that's all I have. Um, thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Nicole. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Judy B. from Massachusetts. Go ahead, Judy B. Hi. Um, this paragraph really reminds me of what it used to be like in my home um, when I was raising my children. Uh, their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible and going through step nine really made me realize that um, everything wasn't the fault of my partner, that I had a big part in what happened in that home. And my own actions uh, were very much uh, partly responsible for what was going on because I was, I was numbed out on food and I was unable to see the truth about what was happening. And, and I just, I wasn't there. I wasn't there the way I can be there now. And um, and so now I, I just, I, I think the reason I'm speaking is because of the, um, the last part of this uh, a sentence. Each morning in meditation, you know, we ask our Creator to show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. After I say uh, the, fir- the third step, and the seventh step, I, I put in this sentence, I ask God to please show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And that's the way I want to live my life now. And um, I'm just, I'm so grateful for this program and so grateful to be shown um, what I've gone through and, and what part I've played and uh, how it can be different now. I'm so grateful for everyone's service and and for this meeting continuing. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, well, this is Monica. Okay, go ahead, Leah. Okay, okay. Thank you, Monica. Um, Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. Uh, you know, the 
the book tells us that elimination of drinking, cessation of drinking is but the first step away from a highly strained, abnormal condition. You know, you can read that in the family afterward, that years of living with people like you and me, uh, years of living with us is, is almost sure to make any anybody neurotic. <laughs> and uh, the big book teaches that, you know, to some extent the entire family is ill. And why is that? You know, why is that? Well, we have to remember that, you know, compulsive overeaters aren't the only ones that are bedeviled by sick emotions. Um, You know, it's just that, uh, you know, our behavior when compulsively overeating or when abstinent but just, you know, dry, that's aggravated, you know, the defects of other people and strained other people's patience. Um, you know, and it brings out the worst in other people. I mean, you know, I have seen that, you know, over and over again um, in my active illness. You know, I just recall those interactions where I was just pushing and pushing and pushing um, someone who's very stable and, you know, very solid, but um, pushing them to act in a way, out in a way that's not normal for them. As a result, you know, we strain strain the patience of our best friends. We strain the patience of our, you know, family to a snapping point, and we bring out the worst in those um, people. And uh, so, yes, this is takes time, absolutely. But you know, the message of hope is that it's possible, and also that you know, recovery is a process. It's not an event. And steps 10, 11, and 12, which we're going to get to, you know, keep us in check because we're constantly asking ourselves, am I practicing these principles in all my affairs? You know, it's easy to practice these principles, uh, you know, for an hour in the morning from 7 to 8 a.m. on the phone. You know, but what am I doing with the other hours of my day? Am I practicing these principles at home with my husband and my children? Am I realizing that I can't control them? You know, am I making amends quickly when I have harmed them? You know, do I treat my husband courteously? Those are the questions, you know, we all ask ourselves because uh, the program of recovery is much more than just elimination of our binge foods. It is a renewed life. But that renewed life has a price attached to it. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And this is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And so this paragraph here in this chapter, it says what? Into action is the title of our our chapter here. So they're giving us more instructions here in this paragraph. And we're we're cleaning, you know, this is the last step of cleaning our house. And, and they're talking about we need to clean our house with our family. And it is a long period of reconstruction. What's reconstruction? It's rebuilding. It's It's making over. And, you know, recovery is a process. It's not an event. And the big thing here for me was, Monica, keep your mouth shut. And by this time, by working the steps before this, I was able to, I was shown. God shown me my behaviors, my attitudes, my thinking, you know, the wrong way um, improper ways that I was doing a lot of things. You know, I was a spoiled little brat having temper tantrums. And I have to be responsible for my behaviors. 
So this is part where they're where they're saying, you know, we need to start being responsible for our behaviors here and being and sitting down with the family and having a talk. Letting them express themselves. And Monica, keep your mouth shut. So we clean house with the family. And our actions will work much better than any words that I can say. You know, if I'm not putting you down and I'm being nice instead, you know, different things are going to start changing. If I'm not putting you down, then you don't have to retaliate in other ways towards me. And, you know, we have these cycles in our families. And for me, a lot of it is, Monica, keep your mouth shut. There's no need to go there. Why do you have to be in control? You know, let someone else have an idea and an opinion here. And then the very last sentence here is, is we're asked we ask, and every time we see we ask in a big book, it's a prayer. God help me. We ask our Creator to show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. So every morning on my knees, I ask God to help me. Ask Him to do for me the things I can't do for myself. Now, I have been made aware of attitudes and behaviors and thinking as a result of doing these steps. And now Monica needs to start being responsible and accountable for her behaviors. And that's how things change. Thank you, God. And with that, we've come to the end of our time here this morning. And I'd like to thank everyone who shared and we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Kim, would you read for us from a vision for you, please? Thank you, Monica. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely, and give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.